Well, if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to open to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. As we continue working through 1 Corinthians, it's been this book that has had lots of practical application, lots of practical theology, if you will, for us. How to live daily life in, in this congregational setting, in the life of a church. And in chapter 14, is, it's different as he continues kind of to address these Corinthians. We're getting ready to get into some, some more difficult content as we get into 1 Corinthians 14. Not difficult in the sense that uh, when we look at the words, we're not going to know how to understand them or anything like that, but difficult in the sense of how does this work out in the life of the church? How does this work out in, in the congregational setting? And so in an effort to, to help serve you guys and equip you guys, we're going to have a Q&A with the pastors here at the end of chapter 14. So here in four weeks, you can mark it down, we'll, we'll have a Q&A kind of over some of this content. Um, you know the content that's coming up that we're talking about, especially today. We're, we're starting about tongues and prophecy, and there's lots of questions surrounding the spiritual gifts, especially the miraculous spiritual gifts. And surely we don't have every answer. And I'm definitely not going to give you all of them today or anything like that. But this is just an effort to continue to uh, keep the conversation going. We're, we're not scared of the questions that we could get because God's not scared of it. And we just want to point people to the Word where, where there's answers and there's a God who's big enough to answer all of our fears and doubts and, and questions that that we have as well. And so if you have a question as we go through this stuff, uh, feel free to write it down and, and talk about it at a home group, but, but also know that that is, that is forthcoming for you as well. Um, when, we, when we approach this topic, there's, there's definitely some, the, some room for disagreement here. There's, there's people on each side, and so we want you to know that. Even amongst the pastors, we're not in the exact same spot, although we're really close. And so we want you to know that, that, that is a, there's room for that here. But we also want you to know that there are things that are very, very clear and those are the things we want to make sure that we practice in our congregational setting. So if you would, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, hear the word of the Lord, starting in verse 1. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. And on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for, the, for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in tongues builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as a flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. And there are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning, but I do not know the meaning of the language. I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for the manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church." This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we want to come to your word, and each time we come to your word, we ought to have this position and posture of humility. We don't know everything we need to know. We come with sin, with broken, messed up lives and hearts, and we're asking for you to help us, and we need your instruction. And more than we need your instruction, Lord, we need you. And so as we even look through 1 Corinthians 14, may we not fall into the error of trying to figure out information and facts and details, but may we try and seek and, and push ourselves to know you. So God, would you reveal yourself in your word to us, and may we humbly 
submit to you as Lord and God, the one who is the sovereign one, who is worthy of all of our praise, of all of our time, of all of our effort, of everything that we have in our lives. May we offer ourselves to you during this time. Father, be glorified. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, as we, as we look at the Corinthians and just all this, the content that we've studied so far, all the way up to chapter 14, I don't think it's too far of a stretch to say that the Corinthians seemed to like things that were kind of spectacular. They seemed to like the, the attention that they could receive. They seemed to like kind of being in the spotlight, if you will. And so in the Corinthian culture, they loved the great oratory, great, great uh, spoutings of, of wisdom that would impress people. They loved to be associated with those that were. And so you see this kind of problem worked out in the Corinthian church. I follow one person or another so that they could say, I'm, I'm with this person. And it was a boast for them in a sense. It was this jumping into the spotlight of somebody else. They liked that attention. They liked the the. the the audience that it brought them when they jumped into a certain category. We also see that they liked attention in other ways. They, they liked to be the person that could use their spiritual gift and actually even be thought of and looked to as someone who used their spiritual gift in a spectacular way. They liked the manifestations of the Spirit. And so in a sense, what they're doing with spiritual gifts is kind of wanting the spotlight, wanting the attention, wanting all the audience, but giving it this spiritual spin under the, the guise kind of of spiritual gifts. And so tongues were a huge thing for them. They thought they were spectacular. They were, they were a way that they could show themselves as spiritual people and even be presented to others as spiritual beings in a way they think you're mature, you're wise, you've arrived. And so the, the Corinthians liked this and even used spiritual gifts to kind of spin their lives in this direction. And so it's not just in the sinful, selfish, worldly way that we think of that they liked the spotlight, but also maybe even they gave it a spiritual spin within the church to get themselves in the spotlight with spiritual gifts. But before we're just too harsh with the Corinthians, we need to look inward at our own hearts as well because we're not too far from that exact reality. We, we are like this. We like the spotlight. We like the attention. Now, this comes out in so many ways. I mean, you think about now, we have social media, and there's lots of social media sites, and Twitter, and Facebook, and Instagram, and all these things. And why do we like those so much? Now, there's probably lots of reasons, but one of the reasons is that there's an audience there that's always kind of available, even though you can't see them or touch them through the web. Sometimes you can get comments, likes, dislikes, all those kind of things, but you can't really see and touch your audience. But the reality is that this is taken off because it's it's tapping into something that's innate inside of us, that's this desire for attention, this desire for an audience. And so we too like these things. This is why we have things that are called selfies. We have pictures of ourselves. It's a real thing, a phenomenon within our culture because we like the spotlight. We want people to see something, and so we're going to take pictures of ourselves so they will see that. Or we want people to hear something, so we type our messages out on that. We have all these things because we like the spotlight and we like that kind of attention. This isn't a new human problem. This has been the problem since Eden. That we're directing attention away from the one true place where it should be and deserves to be with God and toward almost anything else. And primarily, we like it on ourselves. And Paul, as he addresses these Corinthians and as he's continued to address them in the midst of this, has continued to call them out of this in so many ways. And as we look toward spiritual gifts, specifically prophecy and tongues, this was specifically a problem for them. What he is calling them out of is this idea that you want should be in the spotlight. And instead, he's calling them to something much, much greater. He's calling them to pursue something better than the spotlight for themselves. He's calling to them to pursue love by striving to excel and building up the church. 
This is Paul's call for them out of the spotlight into pursuing love, striving to build up the church. And this is the call for us as well today. That Paul is writing about these gifts specifically to grow their desire, not for the spotlight, but for the building up of one another. And so as we continue to look through 1 Corinthians, if you look in verse 1, Paul begins to address some, some specific spiritual gifts. And it says in verse 1, as he begins these spiritual gifts and talking about them, he says at the beginning, pursue love. Now, if you've been with us, we just went through chapter 13. This is a chapter of love in the middle of chapter 12, talking about spiritual gifts in the corporate setting. Chapter 13, love, and here's chapter 14, spiritual gifts in the corporate setting. And so it seems like chapter 13 was this detour, but it's clearly not a detour for Paul. This is a necessity. You need to understand this more excellent way of love. And even here in chapter 14, as he kind of moves on, he wants to call them back to those things. Don't get too far from love is what we would need to hear today. We can so easily forget about these things. And we turn to chapter 14 to not pursue love, but to pursue our arguments. Or not to pursue love, but pursue answers. And Paul would say, pursue love in these things, and that's the way to move forward in the more excellent way. You see, their aim and our aim ought to be love, and this kind of love that he's trying to get us to pursue prevents them and prevents us from trying to gain that spotlight that we do not deserve and should not have. So he says and reminds them, pursue love, because there is absolutely a way of practicing and exercising spiritual gifts in a way that is unloving. And he is calling them to forsake that, to go a more excellent way, go the loving way, and pursue love in exercising these gifts. Now, as we say that, we can't say that this pursuit of love kind of disregards gifts, or we don't say pursue love at the expense of gifts. That's clearly not what Paul is calling them to And so I don't want you to hear that, but I do want us to hear that this is the primary aim is to love. And so pursuing love ought to be part of the equation when we're talking about spiritual gifts, not at the expense of spiritual gifts. So as he continues, he says, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Now, if you remember in chapter 12, verse 31, the very end, Paul says, earnestly desire the higher gifts. Now, it's a similar passage here, similar verse here, but what he does is something different. When he says, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts in chapter 14, he uses a different word for spiritual gifts than what he used in chapter 12, verse 31. And I think that there's a reason for the difference that Paul does here. You see, here I think he's being a little bit more specific, and he's referring to gifts primarily of speech here in chapter 14. You'll see this as we go through chapter 14. continually talking about prophecy and tongues. These are gifts of speech. He even uses speak 24 times in chapter 14. And so he's being a little bit more narrow in his focus when he's talking about these spiritual gifts as he starts in chapter 14. So when he says, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, he's not talking about the full array of all the spiritual gifts that there are, but he's talking about those gifts that would be communicated, those gifts that would be spoken. And so here's what he says, earnestly desire these spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Now, when he uses that word especially, that is a word of comparison. And what he's going to do in chapter 14 is he's going to compare prophecy and tongues. And he's going to go back and forward with both of them. And so when he says earnestly desire prophecy and that the one who prophesies, as he's going to say later, is greater, I don't think he's saying prophecy is the ultimate gifts of all the gifts and that tongues is the lowest gift of all the gifts. I think he's saying in comparison to one another, Here's prophecy, here's tongues. He's not including everything, the whole realm of all the gifts. He's comparing these two together. And so this is how he's going to work through his argument. 
but especially that you may prophesy. Now, we need to nail down a little bit. What, what is prophecy? I, I think I've been kind of punting on this definition for a while, and I think that we kind of need to nail this down. And so I brought you several definitions, and I could have brought more of what prophecy is. So let's hear from different sides of, of the equation, different sides, different camps. David Platt says, and these are all up on the screen as well, David Platt says, prophecy is saying something that God by his spirit, brings spontaneously to our minds, and we begin to speak. It involves indirect speech based on established revelation, which is an important piece of this. This is the spirit speaking to us, prompting us to speak based on what is in this book, being the Bible, and it's tested by divine scripture. That's a good, full, comprehensive definition that a lot of people would agree on with what is prophecy. I went ahead and and included some more just so we could get a, a fuller picture and maybe even a little bit uh, more concise definition than that, you know, long phrase from, from Platt. Gordon Fee says it's the spontaneous word given to God's people for the edification of the whole. That's a, a good, concise definition. It is the spontaneous word given to God's people for the edification of the whole, being the whole church. Another author says prophecy is the hewn report of a divine revelation. Once again, the same kind of leanings there. And then lastly, Wayne Grudem says, telling something that God has spontaneously brought to mind. And so those are, I kind of funneled them down in terms of more concise, a little bit more uh, clear as, as they went on down, even going down the last one. Prophecy is this telling something that God has spontaneously brought to mind. All right, so this is the definition we're working off of, or, or these definitions that we're working off of when we're talking about prophecy. We didn't say anything about prediction. We didn't say anything about it's predicting something at the end and it's going to come true or not come true. It's it's different than that. It's it's basing something off of Scripture and it's come through the Spirit spontaneously to the person and it is communicated. And we'll see later in chapter 14 that it's also to be tested and weighed by those who uh, can evaluate those things. And so the question then is if this is prophecy and if Paul is saying earnestly desire to prophesy, especially to prophesy, then why? Why should we earnestly desire to prophesy as opposed to speaking in tongues, as he compares in this section now? Well, Paul begins to explain by talking and comparing with tongues. So let's go on, and I think we'll determine and see why Paul says we should especially seek to prophesy. If you look in verse 2, he says, For one who speaks in tongues speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. Verse 3 says, on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. And so as Paul begins to contrast these two gifts, prophecy and tongues, he's comparing different angles of them. And he starts out by comparing who is addressed in the exercise of each of these gifts. And so what does he say? In tongues, uh, God is, is addressed, but not people. Now, that sounds like a really good thing. Like, we want to address God, yes, but people are excluded here. The church is excluded in this one. And then he says of prophecy, in prophecy, people are spoken to. It's addressing the people uh, that are around them, the church audience. And, and, and this, he tells us that the audience matters. It's important. It matters who's around you in the midst of this. This is talking about a corporate setting where they come together as as believers. They're joining together as a church. And so the audience matters. And the audience, when you come in these corporate settings, isn't just God. There's more than God in the audience here. We are here with one another. And so Paul is saying, if you speak in tongues, you might be speaking directly to God, but the people don't understand. Or if you prophesy, you're speaking to the people for a certain reason. That's what he contrasts next. He, He contrasts what these gifts' purpose are, what they're accomplishing. 
says of tongues, he speaks in mysteries. But of prophecy, it's for the upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation for believers. The upbuilding, encouragement, giving them a word that would refresh or even consolation in the midst of their distress and danger, it would be upbuilding and pertinent to their situation. And clearly, if audience matters, purpose, what you're trying to accomplish matters as well. And so in the corporate setting, there ought to be the sense of, of our purpose being not just individual, but of outside of ourselves a little bit. We're trying to accomplish more than just something inside of us and in us. We're trying to accomplish something as a whole, as a group. This is a corporate setting once again. And so Paul, what he does here is he, he lays out the comparison, who's being addressed, what they're trying to accomplish, and what they're doing. And then he's going to kind of give the interpretation of these things if you look in verse 4. He says, the one who speaks in tongues builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. There is a, a difference in what is being built up in these two gifts, and they're exercising in the church. Tongues, he says, builds up the individual. And notice that he doesn't necessarily discredit that and say that that's not a worthy cause whatsoever. But he does say that the, the prophecy, it builds up the church. Now, once again, we're reminded of the setting here. This is a corporate setting. And so when we think about a corporate setting, he doesn't want them to just build up themselves. He wants them to build up the whole, build up the church. And so he gives this conclusion in verse 5. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. So the conclusion is given in verse 5 about these two gifts as he compares them together. That what's clear here is that Paul wants something communicated that is intelligible. In other words, it's understandable to the body so that it can build up the entire body. So he, the, the crux of the argument between the two is intelligibility. Can they understand what's going on or can they not understand what's going on? And that matters because you're not in an individual setting. He is speaking to the, the corporate setting. And so he wants them to prophesy more than speak in tongues because the church, the whole church can understand these prophecies, whereas tongues would need an interpretation. And so in their understanding of these prophecies, they're, they're being built up. They're being built up. This is the goal for spiritual gifts within the, this corporate setting is that the church may be built up in love. And he says prophecy is this is what it's accomplishing because everyone can understand. Whereas tongues, they were in, unintelligible and they weren't building up unless they were interpreted. So it's clear that the issue between the two of these, tongues and prophecy, is intelligibility. Can they be understood? And one, if it can't be understood, can only build up the individual, whereas the other one can be understood and it can build up the entire body. And in this way, he says, prophecy is greater because it's, it's this intelligible speech. It's this intelligible, understandable communication that they have, and it can edify the whole body. Now, if, if you were building a house... A nail gun would be a very useful tool for this. Like you could use that thing and really knock out a lot of work and it would save you a ton of time. But if I gave you a nail gun and everything was hooked up to the air hose and you had plenty of nails and I just turned it on and just left it on, like put a rubber band around the switch and just let it, the, the, the trigger there and just let it go, like it wouldn't be doing a lot of good in your house, would it? I just threw it in your house with the rubber band on the trigger and just let nails go where they would. It wouldn't help build up the house. In fact, it has the potential to cause a lot of danger, right? It could be a hazardous work environment. A hard hat may not protect you from everything that's going on there. And the boards that you want to connect aren't going to be connected. 
And this is kind of the same idea that he's getting at with tongues. It's, it's, a, it's a great instrument. It's a great gift. It can be used for a lot of connecting, a lot of building that could be good. But if it's not done in the right way, it's unintelligible, then it's not building up. And in fact, what it can do is it can cause some harm because everyone else is, we're going to see later in chapter 14, looking and wondering what is going on here. Amen. Whereas there is a connection that prophecy makes where you can understand it if you're just in the audience as the church. And in corporate worship, in our corporate setting, our audience is not just an audience of one. Right? Yes, God is our primary audience, but when we come together, that is not the only audience we have. Look around you. We have more people around us than just God. He is here, and we is the primary reason we're here, but we're also here for one another. So to lovingly pursue these gifts and to lovingly exercise these gifts is to pursue gifts that would be good for others as well, because they're a part of this too. And so Paul is very, very clear that, Paul, that prophecy is greater than tongues in this building up that we want to accomplish when we come together. And so I like what one commentator has said when he said, true, the tongue speaker may be edifying himself, but that is too small a horizon for those who have meditated on 1 Corinthians 13. We just talked about what it means to love. We talked about the necessity of love, the character of love, the permanence of love. He has just told them in the first verse, pursue love. Love is so important to what we're doing here. And if we've thought about that love, then clearly just thinking about ourselves and how we can be built up and how we can be edified is much, much too narrow. This is what Paul is trying to awake them to, this reality that you're thinking much too small here. You're part of something bigger. And so if love is our aim, then we're going to start thinking outside of ourselves and considering the needs of others and how we can build them up, how we can love them, not how we can get and receive for ourselves. And the truth is, is that all of us have been steeped in this individualistic culture. And it has so penetrated our lives and our culture that it has affected even our corporate worship setting. And there's no doubt that it's affected our corporate worship setting. So it's totally acceptable within churches today to just kind of slip in and slip out once you get what you want. So I knew a couple in the church we used to go to that every time we'd go through the service, take communion, as soon as that was over, the service was ongoing, they'd slip out the door. They got what they received. They got what they wanted, and so they were heading out. That's all they needed for the week. This is so acceptable in our churches today. Just come, get what you want, and leave. Slip in, slip out. And so often, that's what we do. We pick a place that kind of works with our preference the best, what the things we like the best, we go there, and then we can be as involved as we want, slip in, slip out, whatever we want. And so oftentimes, what happens is we, we've put ourselves in this place of a consumer, where we want to seek the stuff that would be best for us, where we think of individual feeling and emotion and an individual uh, experience that's best for us. So we've put ourselves in this place of a consumer and a spectator wanting to only to receive. We want that individual encounter with God, and that's kind of the end of what we're going for. And so what happens is, is we don't want to sit real close to people. Not real interested in getting real, real close, because that makes it harder to get in and out of the aisles. We want the lights. We want them turned down low. No one has to see me. I don't have to see anybody else. That sounds great. We close our eyes. We kind of shut out the corporate setting. Now, I'm not saying that any of those things in and of themselves are wrong. Close your eyes and worship God, great. But remember that you have a corporate setting. Turn the lights down low and we can all sing, great. But remember, we're not just singing to God. We're singing to one another. Sit as far away as you want, but realize that you shouldn't just be here for yourself. 
What we've done is that we've so privatized faith that we've made it in a way very unbiblical. We want you to have a private faith where you're individually worshiping God and he is your primary audience, but we want to be doing that all the time. And so when we come here, we're worshiping God, but we're doing it together. It shouldn't be a different activity except for that it's a different location and different people around. And so we consider one another as we come together. We don't want to so privatize faith that we don't think about the corporate setting. When you've been saved, if you've been called, if you've placed your faith in Jesus and you've given him your life, you've been called to much more than just yourself. You've been called into this body who has been called out of darkness into the light to walk with the people who are in the light. We are called the bride. There is a body here that we are to think of. This is what you've been called into. And so you can no longer think about just yourself, your faith, your reading, your prayer. No, there's a much bigger picture than just that. We have this much bigger calling, this much bigger community than just ourselves. And Paul is calling them outside of those things, even in their exercise of gifts, Don't just think about your own edification. Think about everyone else because this is what you've been called to. We gather to worship together. You should be worshiping all the time and you are worshiping all the time. We want the audience to be God, but when we come together, your audience is God. That's who you direct your worship to, but we also have one another that we're singing to. And so we look around while we're singing. You're singing truths to one another. You're trying to encourage one another as you sing out of your faith, but you're trying to encourage others in the midst of their faith as well. This is what we do when we come together. There's this other audience that's very important. It's called the church, and and Paul is directing them to this. Don't just think about yourself and using your gifts for yourself. Build up one another in love. Gather together. Worship God. Exercise your gifts, but don't forget about that audience. Work to build up the church. You see, when we think about and meditate on and try to apply 1 Corinthians 13, then we have to get beyond ourselves. We have to seek to strengthen not just ourselves, but the entire group. Yes, we need to be strengthened and built up ourselves. But we need to strengthen our brothers and sisters as well. We are family. And you wouldn't want one part of your family suffering and struggling, just barely getting by as you're trying to thrive on your own. It's not the way to do it. So we think about the entire group, how to serve all, how to exercise our gifts for the good of all. What we're trying to accomplish, it matters. And if we're just coming in here trying to accomplish something for us, then we have a much too narrow of a view. Our clear goal from this passage, very clear, ought to be to edify all, ought to be to build up each other. And so what does edify mean? What does build up mean? I think edification and and this building up that we're talking about means we're working together to strengthen one another's faith. We're working together that everyone would truly and fully with all their being direct their worship to God. We're working together that everyone would walk together in holiness. We're working together that everyone would walk in righteousness. We're working together that everyone would fear God. This is what edification is. We're working for those things in everybody else. We're seeking to build them up, to use our gifts, all that we are, so that they might walk in holiness, so that they might fear God, so that their faith might be strengthened. And to accomplish that end, it's very clear. You've been given spiritual gifts, and you're to use them for that very purpose, that people might be strengthened, that people might walk in holiness. And so what you're doing as an individual who has spiritual gifts, you're leveraging all of those things for the good of the whole, for the good of the church. So this is where the question really comes in. Do we really desire that? What do we desire with our spiritual gifts? So often we have just such a narrow view of what we're doing. We, we want our spiritual gifts to be for us. We want them to, to fulfill us. And even in the, the seeking of, of what different kinds of spiritual gifts, we're, we're seeking ourselves. And Paul wouldn't have it this way. 
And so are we doing this? Are we, are we leveraging all of our gifts so that the body might be built up? This is our call when we come together. One commentator said, edification, the building up of everybody else, is the benchmark, the benchmark by which we measure what goes on in public worship. We do things the way we do around here because it's not suited for an individual experience. We don't make things so that you can individually experience the presence of God. We want that to happen, but that's not why it's all going on. We're thinking about the whole, how we can do this together, how we can build one another up as we've been called to in the Scripture. Tongues, it was this gift that had this particular issue for the Corinthians. They thought of it as spectacular. They thought of it as great. But Paul calls them and us to not to desire the spectacular, but to desire to build one another up. Spectacular, spiritual, all those things aren't why we seek gifts. We seek gifts so that we can build people up. And he says of prophecy, this builds people up. This encourages, this consoles believers, all of which we should all desire. We should all desire to encourage. We should all desire to build up. We should all desire to console one another. And so clearly through that, we should all desire to prophesy because we desire to build up, to encourage the whole. We're to desire these gifts of intelligible speech so that we can build others up. And here he speaks of prophecy, but I think it could go beyond that. We could desire these gifts of encouragement, things that are communicated to help the whole. We could desire gifts of teaching to communicate truth that would build up the whole. If we want to build up others, then this communication of intelligible speech is necessary. That sounds like a really basic statement, but it's true. You have to communicate, and it has to be understandable by others, or it can't build up. And this is what Paul is getting at. And so what we ought to do is we ought to look for opportunities to be used by God to communicate truth in a way that people would be built up. So we desire these gifts that Paul is talking about that would be primarily for the building up of others, not for self. And we can even recognize that, that in desiring to seek certain gifts that build others up, what we could really be desiring is just ourselves there too and put ourselves on the spotlight. And Paul is guiding him away from that. Love, if you're pursuing love, doesn't go that way. It truly desires the gifts so that you can build up other people. So gifts, that's what they're for. They're for building up. And the way to do that is to have this intelligible, understandable communication with one another. And so this is once again the question, what are our desires when we come together? Is this what we're desiring? To build one another up? To share and communicate truth to one another that they might be encouraged and consoled and built up in love. We need to continue to let our desires, even let our exercise of the gifts be shaped by the word of God. That way this might be the end. So in love, he says, we should desire to build up others. He's told them earlier, love builds up. But intelligibility is really important. And this is the key for building one another up. And as he continues on, he, he gives them analogies that would, that would further implant this idea of intelligibility in their mind. That the words you're communicating have to be understandable. And so if you look in verse 6, he says, Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? Now, this is a pretty interesting application because Paul did come to them. He did arrive to these Corinthians, and he did have something for them. But he didn't just speak in tongues. In fact, it doesn't seem like he did at all around them. They didn't pick up the hint from Paul. So he, what he's doing is when he's coming, is he's speaking intelligible words to them. He's proclaiming to them Christ and him crucified. And he says, if I didn't do that, would I have been of any help to you? 
No. I mean, the clear answer is no. Like, I would have been of no benefit to you if I didn't speak something that you could understand. And so I came to you speaking your language that you might know Christ and you might know him crucified because that's the only message that can be understood, one that they can hear and really understand. So this is what he comes with. Now, there was a couple years ago, I was teaching in Zambia, and we went on a mission trip. We have a family there. And at one point in the middle of a session, uh, one of the guys, the kids get up, and most of them, they all speak English, uh, but they also all speak like three or four or more other languages. And so he gets up, and he says, I, I would like to say something. He gets, I'm like, sure, all right, whatever. He comes up there, and he just starts saying something in a language that I have no idea about. And so I'm starting to get a little nervous, like, what are you telling these guys? Like, you telling them not to listen to me? They're like, this guy's crazy. I, I don't know. I can't be built up by his message because I cannot understand him. In fact, what it does is it brings fear to me. And I'm thinking, like, he is probably telling them, like, this guy's not very good. Let's try our best anyway, you know? Like, <laughs> I don't know. You know, it sounded like they were encouraged at the end, and he sat down. And they kind of all had this resolve. So I was like, I think you, I, tr I trust you, but I really don't know what you said. I couldn't be built up because I couldn't understand. It's the same concept that Paul is getting at here. And so he drives us home even further with a few different analogies. If you look in verse 7 and 8, if even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? Great analogies that Paul is using. If I were to come up here and just start banging on these piano keys, or even if I was really trying hard, like I could make a lot of noise but there would be no tune coming out. There would be no harmonious sound, no discernible song that you would hear. It would just be noise. It would just be the piano playing. And this is what Paul is saying. It, it might be making some noise. It might be doing something, but it can't be discerned by the audience. And so this is a problem. The same thing with the bugle. A bugle was an important tool, especially for those who were gathering for battle. It gave the call to get up. It gave the call to get on the line. It gave the call to charge. And you can see, if you, if you mess up in some of those steps, if you get the wrong signal, it could cause a lot of problems. If you charge before everyone else is charging because you hear something and everyone else doesn't hear that same thing, you're going to be left on your own. Or if you're, if you're waiting back when you're supposed to charge, then you're, you're wakening your other brothers. And so we need to hear a distinct sound. This was the call to the battle line. And if it's not clear, then it's just a signal that's not really doing what it's sent out to accomplish. No one's coming to the, to the battle line because the sound is, is not understandable to the people. It's all just garbled sound and it doesn't produce action. That's the bugle. You're making a sound, it's kind of garbled and no action. The people, the army is just sitting in the camp. Paul says this is what we're to avoid. And so what the analogies do is they make Paul's point clear, that intelligibility matters, that being able to understand what's going on matters. And so he continues to apply this. Look in verse 9. So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? You will be speaking into the air. If no one knows what's said, the words that you're saying are just going to be wasted. They're useless. And once again, he's not just throwing out tongues altogether and say, forget about that. Don't do that ever in your entire life. We're not there yet. We'll, we'll cover more of that in chapter 14. But clearly, he says, when you're in this setting, there's, these are things to be thought through as you're speaking in tongues and as you're prophesying. Think through what will really be communicated. And if you're speaking in a tongue and no one is interpreting, then it's just words in the air wasted and unhelpful for the edification of the body, which is to be our goal. So Paul Continues on, edification is key. Verse 10, there are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. 
But if I don't know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. You can have two really intelligent people, maybe even two really theologically astute people, two people that are on fire for God, as we would say, in different countries, in different languages, come together and have no fellowship. That they be reduced in their great thinking to, to primitive sign language that would be very frustrating if you've ever done that. That would be really, really hard for both of them. And nothing would be communicated. So it has nothing to do with intelligence level, gifting, all those kind of things. It has to do with like their different languages. They're not intelligible, and so they cannot communicate with one another. But I also want us to notice just in this example that he gives here in 10 and 11, they're a foreigner. And you cannot have true, close fellowship with someone who is a foreigner. If you can't speak the same language, that's a huge barrier for fellowship there. Paul doesn't want that to happen in their body. They have enough problems with dissension. They have enough problems with different groups thinking they're greater or worse. This just adds to that chasm even more if it's done improperly. So Paul puts this before them. And then he takes these analogies, he takes these illustrations, and he really applies it to the Corinthians in verse 12. He says, so with yourselves, with you. I, I, we've said all these things, but now think about your setting. Think about your corporate life. With you guys, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Now, he says to the Corinthians, you are eager for spiritual manifestations. You're eager for manifestations of the Spirit. What he doesn't do is correct that. He's not correcting them for eagerly desiring manifestations of the Spirit. It could be true of them, we don't know, that their hearts really were desiring. I want to speak in tongues because this is a display of the Spirit that will draw people in and build up the believers. We're not excluding that as a possibility whatsoever. And neither is Paul when he comes to them and tells them, you're eager for these things and it seems to be coming out and that everybody wants to speak in tongues. He's not saying get rid of that. Don't, don't have any expectations. Don't be eager for these things. He's not correcting that. But what he is collect, collect, correcting is that their eagerness be pointed in the right direction. He wants their eagerness to be turned the right place. You're eagerly desiring these things, but here's where you need to turn it. Their struggle was not with eagerness. Their struggle was with building up. So they were eager to display the Spirit. They weren't very eager to build one another up. They were eager to display these manifestations, these gifts like tongues. They weren't real eager to love. And so what he's doing is he wants to bend their eagerness in the right direction, bend it in the right place so that it can be concentrated. And here's what he wants it to be concentrated on. Strive to excel in building up the church. Strive to excel in building up the church. He corrects them with those words. And this word strive is pretty understandable in our language, but it means this, this devoting serious effort toward. You're working hard, you're toiling that this may be the end. The eagerness was there, but it wasn't channeled in the right direction. He wants their eagerness channeled in the right direction that they may devote themselves, commit themselves to this, some serious effort to building one another up, to excelling in building one another up. Now I can think of some times in college when we put a lot of effort into things. Put a lot of effort in to some video games. Corporately, we put effort into video games. We thought collectively that no other group of four, however many we had in our house at the time, could beat us in a match-to-match -match game of Dr. Mario. There were four of us that we felt like were maybe unmatched, at least in the U.S., definitely on that campus. We devoted some attention to that, some effort toward that. We also devoted some effort toward intramural sports. 
So we'd get all of our stuff on and get ready, primed to go. We devoted time and even cut out time of our schedules of, of other things that we could be doing to make sure that we were at those games and that we gave it our all. We devoted times. We found a park in the town we lived in. We, did, we found a park that had a shorter goal that was perfect for dunk ball. We devoted some serious effort into playing dunk ball basketball games at the park. Now you just think like, that's great. You know, like if you would have known us, you would know like we really poured our desire into those things. We poured our effort. We worked hard at getting those things accomplished. If only that would have been channeled in the right direction, right? You know, like, I don't know, like why you're at college to, to study and to really be pouring yourself into these, these topics and these classes that you're in. If you were really to pour yourself into those things, maybe your life would have been differently. And for some of us, it would have been. Like, we had a few dropouts in my house. I'm not going to deny it. Few people didn't show up to class very often that were a lot more devoted to video games than they were devoted to class. But you just think, if we could channel that eagerness in the right direction, man, what we could accomplish. We could do some really great things, and we could think a lot about our church as well. Maybe we do have this eagerness to build up, but let's channel it in the right way. Let's channel it through love. Let's channel our gifts for the right purpose. I mean, how many of us can seriously be described as people who are seriously devoted, devoting serious effort to building one another up? Is that what could describe us? that we are devoting our effort, that we are making our time show that we're devoting our effort to building up one another. This is what Paul calls us to strive to excel in building up the church. And if we're not doing that, it likely shows our lack of commitment to the body. It likely shows our selfishness. It likely shows our lack of love that's to mark our, our existence as believers and our existence as a as church. So let's channel eagerness in the right direction. But let's also not miss or read over a few words that he said in the first five verses, and then he says again in verse 12. He says, since you are eager for manifestation of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the what? Building up the church. Building up the church. There's a lot of implications for him adding those couple words at the end. The church is this local assembly. It is your local body of believers where they come together corporately to worship God and to build one another. So your church, your local church, which if you're here today, I'm hoping that your local church is sojourn. This is a local church. This is a body of believers that comes together for a specific purpose. We gather together. We are a church. We are, if you are committed to this body, to strive to building up the church. Strive to build up one another. In other words, the primary place for your exercising of your spiritual gifts, the primary place for your gifts to be used and to build up is in this setting called the church, the local church, this local place where we gather together. And this has all sorts of implications, right? One is that we're to be connected with a body. We're not to be moving back and forth from church to church. No, we're to be connected because you're to, called to love people there. You're called to use your gifts there. You can't be just slipping in and out. We're to be connected to our body. But even within that body, we have to realize that when we come together, that we're not just here for us. We're here for the audience. We're here for the church to build them up. And so there's two things that are at work there. We need others. Every single person came in here today needing one another's gifts. Not one of us was in a place where we said, I don't need the church's gifts today. No, we need each other. That's another reason why we gather is because we need each other. But we also know that others need us. We have gifts. 
We have things to offer. Everyone has something to offer. The Spirit, if He resides inside of you, you have gift or gifts, maybe lots of them, to pour out for the building up of the body. Others need you. And so if you're not plugged into a body and you feel like sojourn is a place, like we need gifts. We need people so that we can be built up. We need people that can build up this body because one person, one set of gifts will not work. So it, once again, it expands our view. We need others. We need one another. And this is how it's supposed to be. And it's good. And it shows the graciousness of God that he would provide family around us. And so every time we gather, what we need to do is we need to engage. We're not coming in as spectators watching the show. We're engaging because we have gifts. We're engaging because we're called to pursue love. We're engaging, engaging so that we can build up other people. We're not just slipping in and slipping out. We're not just coming as spectators. We're coming to build up. This is what the scripture clearly calls us to. And if we think about what is church, it might be that you come, hear some songs, hear a sermon, and go home. But I want us to see something much, much bigger than that because here's what church is. It's this local assembly. It's this gathering of believers where we sing with one another. We sing to God. We speak and we hear words of encouragement. We pray together. We serve together. We open up our lives. We give of our time. We give of our talents. We give of our resources together. We take communion together. We celebrate baptism together. And all these things takes a body. It takes a body. Lots of parts working together that the body might be built up. And sojourn exists that we might glorify God through the right exercising of the gifts. Sojourn wants to glorify God through the edification of the church, the building up of the body of Christ. That is, we want, when we come together, people to be formed into the image of Jesus. And that doesn't just take one person who is preaching or one person who is singing. It takes a whole body to in, in, in continue to encourage and build up someone with unique needs and unique depths to problems. We need the whole body working together so that the whole body might be built up. This takes a body. And I love what one pastor says when he said, in short, there is not more important means of discipleship of the formation of Christian character than deep involvement in the life of the church, the Christian community. There is not more important means of discipleship and formation in the image of Christ than being a part of a local body that can build you up in love. And so with this in mind, we have to think, are we using our gifts for that purpose? Are we coming and engaging? Are we leveraging all that we are that this body might be built up, that Christ might be glorified? This is what Paul calls us to. We're called to pursue love by devoting serious effort toward building up one another with our spiritual gifts. Right here at Sojourn, this is what we're called to. This is what we're to be about. And so when we talk about that, it might sound like we're being a little Sojourn-centric here. Like your gift's to be all about this place. You get to just be exercised so that sojourn might be built up. And that's when I want to call us out of that idea and not forget whose body we are. Because sojourn doesn't exist for the name of sojourn. We don't come here so that our name might be magnified. We don't come here so that people might all over the world proclaim our name. We're the body of Jesus. Amen. We belong to him. We're his bride. And what we are at Sojourn is a local expression of the people of God. In one way, that's not special at all. There's lots of local expressions of the people of God. 
I hope that God builds them too. But we are one of them and we are his. We belong to him. We exist to glorify him. And so what he's doing with his bride, with his people, is he's redeeming them. He's purifying them. He's forming them into his image. He's sustaining them. He's building them. We don't exist for sojourn. We exist for the glory of Jesus Christ. And he does that through us being formed into his image together as a body. And this means that we come together and we pour out our lives that we might be built up in love. The means that God uses to glorify himself is the church. It's people coming together, pouring out their gifts for the good of the all. And the end in this is that Jesus receives glory. We don't want you to come here and exercise your gifts for the good of the body that sojourn might be glorified. And God forbid any of us from coming in like that. May we come together and pour out our spiritual gifts for the good of one another that Jesus might be glorified. And so in the end, yeah, I'm calling us to commit to a local body, and I'm calling us, as the Scripture does, to pour out our gifts for the good of this local body, but it's not sojourn-centric. It's Christocentric. It's centered on the glory of Jesus Christ, and He's worthy of that glory. And because this is true, what effort is too large for devoting to making His name great? There is no effort that is too much in the pouring out of our gifts that that might happen in our body. And so we desire these gifts as Paul calls us to. We want to desire them, these intelligible gifts of communication that this body might be built up, and we pour them out if we have them so that the body might be built up. What we want to hear from this passage is the clear bugle call. There is something that is so clear and is calling us to the battle line, and we don't want anybody to mistake what it is. It's this call to pursue love by striving, as Paul says, to excel in building up the body. That's the clear call that we want you to see. In the midst of this maze of gifts and tongues and prophecy, there's a clear call going through it, saying, come and pursue love and strive to excel in building up this church. May that be our end. Let's pray. Father, as we once again recognize after we leave from your word that we are, we are in such need of it, We have not figured it out even now. We have not solved the depths of all these questions clearly. And we have not known the depths of who you are and we want to know more. So even as we move from this time where we're gathering in the word together, may we be in awe of who you are because there's still so much more. But God, may we also be called to something so clearly as your scripture calls us to to be about the end that you might be glorified. And the way that you are glorified is when your body comes together and it builds one another up in love. May we not miss the means and may we not miss the end because we want you to be glorified. And we're praying that you would sink these words down deep into our hearts, that they would not be void in us, but they would produce action that would bring about and cause you to be glorified. We even pray that even now as we begin to sing, may the things that you're doing in our heart pour out on our mouths and in our minds, and may you be worshiped. Amen.